Well, this morning we come to the part of the story that takes everybody by surprise. It wasn't one person in the theater of life that understood what was going on when we come to this scene. Now, there had been some amazing scenes before. Creation. I mean, what an amazing thing that was. And yet people understood what was going on there, even though they didn't understand how it was done. You see Moses and the plagues upon Pharaoh, and we see the Red Sea, and we see the stuff that happened on Mount Sinai, and walls of Jericho falling over. We see a lot of things going on, but... This one scene. This scene was so, what was going on was so twisted, was so turned, was, was such a surprise thing that, that nobody, nobody got it. Nobody understood what was really happening, even those closest to Jesus. So this morning, we're going to look at this scene that's centered around the cross. There's a, there's a lot of things we can look at here. There's so many messages here. I'd, I'd love to look at the last words that Jesus said. You know, when, someone's, when they know this is the end of their life, and they just have a, a, a few words left to say, those words are awfully important. I'd love to sit down and look at what were the final things that Jesus said there. We can list all the things that Christ's death accomplishes. John Piper's written a book entitled 50 Things That the Death of Christ Accomplishes. We could piece together all the accounts and find out exactly what happened when and, and, and put them all together. That would be interesting. Or we could look at that scene, the, the final scene of it all with those two guys on the cross, one on either side, representing two responses of people in our day to the person of Christ. We could look at the brutality of, of the cross and we could read again what Jesus went through. This morning, I, I want to do something a little different. Uh, instead of looking at the lower story and, 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 and reading a, that all through, I want to talk about what's going on in the upper story here. And as we talk about that upper story, I want to talk about an assumption that's in our culture and that's in our world, uh, which many, many people have. Because the cross speaks to that assumption. I think uh, one of the ways that this assumption is revealed is if any of you have, uh, how many of you have ever seen a video with Ray Comfort? A gentleman by the name of Ray Comfort. Okay, a few people. So let me tell you what this guy does. <clears throat> he'll go up to people and he'll talk to them. He'll ask people if they think they're a good person. 98% of people, if you ask, will say, yeah, I'm not a bad person. I'm, I would consider myself to be, I don't do everything right, but I would consider myself to be a good person. So then he walks them through the Ten Commandments. Have you ever lied? Have you ever stolen? Have you ever taken the Lord's name in vain? Ever lusted? People, of course, all of us have to answer yes. So makes a point. So you've been a liar, a thief, an adulterer, and a blasphemer. And that's just four of the ten. So he makes the point and asks the question, if you stood before God, for God, would you be innocent or guilty? And everybody says guilty. Then he asks this question. So would you go to heaven or hell? And people will say, heaven. And why would people say, you go to heaven? I mean, what is, what is it about that point? 
And here's a statement. You'll see it up on the screen. This is, this is a statement. Here's, here's a thought. If God is really a good and loving God, He's not going to send people to hell just because they make a mistake. I mean, what kind of a person is it that says, oh, you made a mistake. We're done. It's over. Forget it. Our relationship is off. Is, is that the kind of God that we serve? So that, that is the... That is the assumption that people make. That if, if there is a God who is, who is loving and who is a good God, He's not just going to send people to hell because they do something wrong. I'd like to look at that this morning. And, and one of the reasons that we think that way about God... One of the reasons that we think that way about God is because we, we evaluate God in terms of ourselves. And so we say, you know what, if someone did something wrong to me, I would forgive them. And so does that mean I am more forgiving than God? And so we, we begin to evaluate what God would do through our, through our own eyes and, and through our own understanding. If we have something that, that bothers us that somebody did, we let it go. Are you saying that God is a God who can't let anything go? So, there are two things that a lot of people cannot buy. They cannot buy uh, <clears throat> the fact, first of all, that sin is really that serious. That if I commit one sin, it separates me from God. Can't buy that. And then the message of the cross that God would somehow die for somebody else's, that he would actually pay for somebody else's sin, they, we can't buy, people can't buy that either. Because that's really kind of absurd. So what we do is we end up making God in our image. And the fact of the matter is God is not us. We are not God. His ways are so much higher than our ways. He is, he is so different than we are. I was reading the other day that a, a good golf instructor, if they're looking at someone's swing, will probably see about ten things wrong with a swing. What a good golf instructor does is figures out the one thing that the person is doing wrong that is creating all the others all the other mistakes. It's interesting, in Romans 1, you know, we, we live in a culture, we've been talking, uh, <clears throat> one of the headlines of our culture is the whole, uh, in the area of sexuality, and the Supreme Court decision, and that whole thing. That's not really the issue. Romans 1 tells us the issue, and, and just follow along with these verses, <clears throat> verses 20 through 23. For since creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, and their thinking, now their thinking about God became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools." And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images 
made to look like mortal man, birds and animals and reptiles. So they took the glory that was due God. In other words, they took who God really was and they, they made out a God to be in their own image. They, just, they began to see the character of God differently than he really, really was. So they began to deny who God is in his character. And then the, the text goes on to say, so God, as a result of that, gave them over to all kinds of lust, not just sexual, everything. All, of, all this stuff that all of this stuff we see in our world is really symptomatic of, of the failure to recognize God for who he is. And in the cross, we see two of the most powerful truths about God's character you'll find anywhere. And so, in the time left, I want to talk about those two things. God is holy. He's set apart. And so, these are the two qualities that we see in this. What happens on that cross is a manifestation of two powerful characteristics of God. And here's the first one. God is just. Now, you won't hear that from somebody on the, you know, the average person does not talk about the justice of God. They'll talk about the love of God. You know, God must be loving. But how many people are saying, well, God must be just? But the Bible tells us very clearly that God is just. In fact, he is perfectly just. Absolutely perfectly just. He doesn't bypass anything. Why? Because he is perfectly just. He never looks the other way. He never ignores any wrong, no matter how small, because he is perfectly just. People say, why can't God just overlook things and let them go? He cannot. God cannot overlook things because it's not that he will not, it's that he cannot because he is perfectly just. If he, was, if he overlooked things, he would not be perfectly just. How many of you are from perfect country? How many perfectionists do we have in the room? Okay, you know, you see the lint on somebody's clothes and you make the bed and the sheet has to be unwrinkled even though nobody's going to see it. All this kind of perfect people. Okay, you maybe have a little easier time understanding this quality of God. God is absolutely perfect in his justice. And if you're a justice person, you really understand this quality about God. You know, when, when, when God did creation, he rested. He didn't go, you know what? I got just about everything done. Or I got just about everything the way I wanted. There are a couple things I didn't get quite right. A couple people down there, I missed a few things on them. But, you know, no, God is perfect in everything he does. No exceptions with God. He never improves anything. Always at the top of his game. Everything that is wrong demands justice. So this comment that I, I think, you know, I think one day God will just overlook. He'll just overlook the mistakes I've made in my life and, and look at the good things I've done. It, it, that comment reveals a lack of understanding of the holiness of God and what it means to be perfectly just as God. It's kind of making God out to be like us, making God to be in, in our image. And so the truth of the matter is that in his nature, he simply cannot let things go. Romans 14, verses 10 to 12. 
says that we will, and I'm not going to read that whole passage, but it basically says this, that we will all stand before the judgment seat of God and we will all give an account for our lives. Everything in our life, every word and every deed. And completely, perfectly just God cannot overlook things in our lives. And so, because we don't understand and comprehend this about God, we, we minimize the seriousness of our sin. We don't understand the seriousness of our sin. And we, we can't figure out why God would, would have to hold us accountable for just a few mistakes in our lives. As you begin to understand this, you begin to understand to see why there's all this stuff about sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice in the Old Testament. Uh, Mark Driscoll, when new believers would come to Christ, the first book he'd have them read was the book of Leviticus. How many like the book of Leviticus? Okay, if you're reading through the Bible, a lot of you are skipping over that one, right? That's the first book he has them read. And they read it and they go, sacrifice for this and sacrifice for that and blood sacrifice for this and sacrifice for that. Why all the sacrifice? Because sin is, has to be atoned for. It has to be. If you haven't atoned for the sin in your life, you're in trouble. And so we, we see that's a point that's driven home over and over again. That God is a, when you think about God's character, He's perfectly just. He cannot overlook anything. But God is not just a just God. There's <clears throat> a second quality that comes together. And God is, is also a God of love. And his love is perfect. So here, here is man. He's in this tough situation. He has sinned against God. He is, he is bound. We, we see here that he is... Man, mankind, everyone has come into the world has sinned. There is the scripture says there's no one good, not even one. God cannot overlook any sin, and yet at the same time, God is, is loving. God doesn't just have love, the Bible says that God is love. He is love. And so we see that God has no choice but to love you. Did you know that? God has no choice but to be just and to demand justice, but God has no choice either but to love you because the essence of his nature is love. And so it should not surprise us. You know, the answer to the question, why does God love me, is the same answer to the question, why does God judge me? Because God is perfectly just and God is perfectly loving. And God could not sit by in the story, God could not sit by and let his creation go to hell because of the incredible love that he had for people. Now we soften this, you know, we soften the just part of God's nature, but we also soften the loving part of God's nature. And therefore we don't trust God. And we don't think that God could really be a God who is totally for us. And so Paul prays for those Ephesian Christians, and he says, God, I pray, I just pray that the eyes of their heart would be enlightened so they, you give them power to know how wide and long and high and deep is your love. And that as they comprehend that, they will be filled up to all the fullness of God. 1 John 
chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Let me just read that. It talks about the transforming power. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. That is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God and we know and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when He appears, we'll be like Him. Why? For we'll see Him as He is. I think when we see Christ, you're going to be... And, and you meet God, you're going to be so overwhelmed with the love of God. It, it's going to be something that, that is going to transform you on the spot because the power of God's love is that powerful. It is transforming. So we see here that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit who scripted this story that's being played out in history, decided how this would all play out. That they decided that their, their justice and their love, that, that those two qualities, they decide on something that no one expected. That's why everybody missed it. Nobody expected what happened <coughs> at this scene. And so... They decided that the full extent of God's justice and the full extent of his love would be demonstrated in one scene in the story. One scene in the story. That scene would be Calvary. And that everyone in the universe would see the magnitude of his justice and the magnitude of his love coming together in one man on one cross on one day on one hill. And from the lower story, it was, it was a tragic day for a disillusioned wannabe Messiah. But from the upper story, the Trinity had agreed that all the wrath against sin and all the wages of man's sin would be fully punished and paid for by one person. One person. Now you say, how can one person pay for the sin of the whole world? That doesn't seem right. Let me remind this of something. <clears throat> now follow me on this. Romans 5.17 For if by the trespass of the one man, he's talking about Adam now, if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through this one man, Jesus Christ? You'll say it in another way. Consequently, just as a result of one trespass, condemnation was for all men, so also with the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. <clears throat> he says it one more way. For just as through the disobedience of one man, many were made sinners, also through the obedience of one man, many will be made righteous. Was it fair that because of Adam's sin, you were born with a sinful nature? Was that fair? Well, God says in, in, God's, <clears throat> in God's nature, as, as he looked down, he allowed that the sin of one man would affect us all. And now what he's saying is the life of one man, the work of one man, Jesus Christ has the power to affect us all. For Adam, it was for the bad. In Christ, it is for the good. And so we see here that God looks at this as just. 
that his wrath could be poured out on one person and that could be applied to the whole world. The second thing we have to understand, 1 John 3, 5. <clears throat> you see what it says. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins and in him is no sin. And so Christ comes. He lives a sinless life. He's not required to pay for his sin with his own life. And now it is just in the eyes of God that he's therefore able to pay, give his life as a payment for your sin. That is how the absolute justice of God, a God who cannot overlook one thing in your life, that is how God has dealt with the sin in your life. That's how the story plays out in this amazing scene that, that, that Noah... No one would have ever... I mean, imagine a court of law where there's a judge who gets up and, and lays out the case and, and looks at everything and pronounces a sentence. And you're standing out there with cuffs on your hand and, and the judge announces the sentence and then he gets up out of his chair, walks down, tells the guard to take the, the cuffs off, put them on his and says, I am now going to serve the sentence of this man that I just sentenced. Do you understand why people didn't get it? Uh, do you understand why you may be here and you don't get it? Because you don't believe that, that, that there's a God that has that much love for you, there's, that God is, His love is that profound, that He would do that for your life <clears throat> and do that for you. So here's what we see at the cross. We see the absolute full seriousness of sin, we see Jesus Christ dying the worst death you could die. It was so brutal. It was so cruel. It was so painful. It was only for barbarians and criminals and slaves. And so, see here Jesus Christ taking this upon himself. At the same time, we see the, the, we see the greatest act of love you could ever imagine. Both happening in, in the same moment on that same cross. So in the cross we see these three truths. Number one, we see sin is far more serious than we ever thought. You see Jesus Christ being beaten to within an inch of his life. The scripture uh, or history tells us that a lot of times crucifixion, the beings were so severe they could no longer tell the gender of the person on the cross. Naked, uh, there be, being beaten, being whipped, and, and you look at that whole scene, and which, what we need to remember is you are watching someone being punished for your sin. That's what, that's what that picture is. It's someone being punished for your sin, for my sin. Sin is way more serious than we ever thought. Secondly, God's love is far greater than we ever imagined. I mean, that God would take that situation, turn it around, and put himself in your place. I mean, what, what greater act of love can you even imagine? Could you even come up with in the story? And lastly, we see a reason to believe that we are forgiven. You know, secular psychology, if you, if you walk into their office, this is what they'll say to you. You need to forgive yourself. You just need to, you need to forgive yourself. The question is, on what basis are you telling me that? 
on what basis can I, well, set as, I have to set aside justice. <clears throat> I have to say my, my, my mistakes do not require any payment. And inherently, we all know, because we're made in the image of God, we know that's not right. And so God provides a solution in which we can know that we are forgiven. That we can know that we are forgiven. That the justice of God has been poured out upon our sin because he has paid for that sin. And so if you're sitting here today and, and uh, <clears throat> as a believer and you're not letting... You know, you just can't forgive yourself or you can't receive that. What, what, you know, what you're really saying is you're, you're looking at Jesus and you're saying, that wasn't enough. Jesus, you didn't, you didn't suffer enough. Uh, your sin was not enough. That payment was not enough for my sin. There is a basis for your forgiveness. There is a basis. It satisfies. The work of Christ satisfies the justice of God. It not only demonstrates the love of God, it satisfies the justice of God. And so there's a basis for forgiveness in each of our lives. Well, time's up this morning. <clears throat> I remember my <clears throat> sister, Rebecca, who... Uh, <clears throat> It's up in Rhinelander. She's one of the 15 kids. And early on, many years ago now, she shared that she had backed out of the driveway and I think one of the two-year-olds was sitting behind the car. Backed right over the child, laid its head back, and she, when she got to the end of the driveway, she looked out and she, she realized she'd backed over her two-year-old child. And the child was fine. But if you're a mother here, you play that over and over and over and over again in your mind. And when her husband came home that night, she was just shaking. Just and, and what she told him was, she said, you know, I've always had this fear. I've always had a fear that God was going to punish me um, <clears throat> by taking one of my children. You, you ever have a fear like that? Like, God's going to punish you <clears throat> for something. Something you, you know, things in the past, whatever. It's just general feeling that God hasn't really forgiven you. And, and I remember her telling me that her husband, John, sat her down and took her by the shoulders and said, Back, Jesus already died for those sins. Jesus already paid for them. That's what the cross is all about. God's not asking you to pay for your sin. He's not going to require you to pay for your sin that's already been done. Powerful, powerful picture. <clears throat> Let me just conclude with this. October 16th, 1987. It's flight 225 northwest out of uh, Detroit. Maybe some of you remember this. 1987, a few years ago. There are 100 and... Uh, there were 155 people on board that plane. 154 died. One girl, her name was Cecilia. <clears throat> She's still alive today. They went through the rubble, spread out over a half a mile. You know what those sites are like. You can hardly even recognize people anymore. And this little girl 
four years old, survived. The paramedic said that it looked like what happened, the way she was positioned with the woman that she was with, is that evidently when the plane was about to go down, the, her mother was sitting next to her, got up, took off her seatbelt, turned around, and enveloped her arms around her four-year-old girl. So when the plane hit and the seats broke loose, the, the mother took all of the impact, um, all of the impact of, of that blow was taken by, by the mother. I thought, what an amazing picture of what Jesus Christ has done for you and he's done for me. This is, a, this is an amazing scene in the story. And I can sit here and describe it to you and you, you still may not get it. You still may not be able to comprehend that there's a God that is that just. They would require the, de- the death of his own son on the cross and yet is that loving that he would do that for you. But that's what the story is. <clears throat> that's what the cross is all about. And... Uh, it's a powerful, powerful picture of, what God, of God's heart for you today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, this amazing story that you wrote. What I have said early on, that this story is about the extent to which you would go to rescue your people, to bring your people back to yourself. And in this scene, we, we see the extent to which you would go. We see the extent to which you did go. And Father, we just proclaim that you are God of justice today. To just, you are so perfect in all of your holiness and that you are absolutely just. That one sin would condemn us. And that you are so absolutely loving that you came and and did it all. That you did everything to purchase us, to bring us back, to deal with the, the sin in our life and the nature we inherited from Adam. And now through the, the nature of this one, Jesus Christ, we can be righteous in your sight through faith. Well, what, a, what an amazing twist in the story. Father, it wasn't just the first century people that had a hard time comprehending that. Even we today wonder, are amazed, ask how can this be? Yet Lord, today by the basis of your word, basis of the life of Christ, his death, his resurrection, his spirit's presence with us today, we proclaim that you are Lord and you are Savior. And to you be all glory and honor and praise this day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. <clears throat> you are dismissed for our connection. Thank you.